Hey everybody, um, I'm just jumping on here really quick because I've already pre-recorded the episode that you're going to listen to today. It is Thursday, I'm recording this part Thursday, October the 19th, and the hearing that we discuss in the episode has quote-unquote happened. Um, there was no hearing. If you haven't heard yet, um, Rick Allen's defense team uh, withdrew from the case and the judge accepted their withdrawal. Um, this is a very sad day. This means that the families are going to have to wait years for justice to find out what truly happened. And I mean, let's face it, innocent until proven guilty. We don't know if Rick Allen is in fact guilty and he's going to be sitting in jail for the foreseeable future. Um, so Judge Francis Gull will be appointing new attorneys. There is another hearing on October 31st, and I believe that's going to kind of bring in these new attorneys and discuss some of the motions that were filed. I'm still waiting for updates to find out what this means for the outstanding motions. And as soon as I find all that out, I will bring it to you. But for now, I'm going to start off with the hearing clip. It lasted all of three minutes. But then after that clip, we're going to get right into the pre-recorded episode. Um, we've had an unexpected turn of events, ladies and gentlemen. Um, earlier this afternoon, the defense attorneys have withdrawn their representation of Mr. Allen. Mr. Baldwin made an oral motion to withdraw. I granted that oral motion to withdraw and Mr. Rosie will be submitting a written motion to withdraw, I'm assuming within the next couple of days. Um, they have confirmed with the court that Mr. Allen's uh, financial situation remains static, meaning he is continuing to be entitled to appointed counsel. I will reach out to public defenders to make that appointment. Um, as Mr. Allen is now without counsel, I've ordered him transported back to the Department of Correction. Mr. McClellan, I know that we have already scheduled a hearing in the Carroll Circuit Court October 31st at 9 a.m. I'd like to maintain that hearing if we can, please. Um, I think at that point um, we can have counsel appointed. Um, I'd like to set a new trial date, obviously. I don't believe counsel will be prepared within the next couple of months to try a case of this magnitude in January. Um, so we'll set dates for the trial. I think we need to set a date as well for the suppression hearing that was filed now by former counsel. Um, I have asked the attorneys um, to provide all of the discovery previously provided to back to the state of Indiana. I know I entered a protective order on the discovery and honestly I don't remember when that was I think it was in April of this year perhaps maybe sooner but the attorneys have been ordered to provide all of that discovery back to the state and if you would maintain that until such time as it can be turned over to successor counsel I would appreciate that Mr. McClellan. Yes, um, I've also asked the defense attorneys to um, cooperate with successor counsel they're not required to do that, but I think that they will in the best interests of um, Mr. Allen. They're not required to provide any of their work product, um, but they will be required and have indicated that they will cooperate with successor counsel. So obviously without counsel, Mr. Allen's hearing cannot proceed. 
I apologize that I know many of you have been waiting for several hours. I know Mr. McClellan, you and your staff, and you had some witnesses here um, that came earlier to have the hearing, but clearly this is outside of our control. So is there anything, Mr. McClellan, that you'd like to state for the record? No, Your Honor, I think we can address the other issues at the October 31st court date. All right. With that being said, then, we are in recess. Thank you. I'll see you in October. Disclaimer. In this episode, we will be discussing the murder of two young girls. Everyone discussed in this chapter will be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. Hi guys. Um, I just wanted to jump on here, probably not real quick because there has been a lot of movement in the Delphi case. Um, Brie is not with me here today. She actually had, well, her, one of her cats had kittens, so her house is kind of, uh, busy at the moment. Um, but she gave me her blessing to go ahead and record this without her, um, like I said, there's been a lot of movement in the Delphi case since we did our state's response to that Frank's um, motion memorandum. We, we weren't sure whether or not we were going to continue going through all of the filings in this case because basically it was, it was thought to be almost done. We were just waiting to hear back from the judge to see if she was going to grant the defense's motion for Frank's hearing, which again, as a little refresher, is basically a motion to see if law enforcement um, hid or lied about information to gain a search warrant to search Rick Allen's house back in October of 2022. So after they had made that filing in the memorandum and they had accused, well, let's say accused, but they had named five individuals in that memorandum and basically said that Abby and Libby were murdered during a ritualistic sacrifice but done by Odinus. Um, in that memorandum, they said that these Odinists had members who were also prison guards um, who wore Odinist patches at the prison where Rick Allen was and he was basically kind of I guess insinuated that he was being threatened and that's what made him confess to his wife over the phone and that's why his physical and mental health has deteriorated so much. So then the state responds basically saying that this motion was supposedly for Frank's hearing yet you didn't cite any case law and you haven't met your um, your grounds for the Franks hearing. So basically the defense then went back and they filed more paperwork saying that the defendant um, has done all of that and here's some additional information. So I'm going to kind of, I'm not going to read everything verbatim. I'm going to go through, um, I think, to me, what the most interesting part of the filings are. And the only reason I decided to do this now today is because there is a hearing scheduled for this week and probably by the time this comes out the hearing will have already happened but they're going to allow cameras in the courtroom and I think in my opinion there is going to be a huge 
shift, a huge change in this case, and it's very unfortunate, but we're going to get there. So, like I said, the defense has filed a an additional or supplemental motion for Frank's notice, and this is called the defendant's additional Frank's notice. It says, comes now, the accused Richard Allen, by and through counsel Andrew Baldwin and Brad Rossi, and files the following additional information to supplement the Franks motion and memorandum previously filed with this court on October 18th, 2023. That is a typo in here. It does say October 18th, but they meant September 18th. In support of said notice, the defense states the following. One, that on September 18th, 2023, the defense filed its motion for Frank's hearing, as well as a memorandum in support of said motion. Two, that since filing that motion, the defense has received few discoveries that strongly supports the defense's belief that Tony Liggett and Unified Command attempted to conceal from Judge Diener and has since even attempted to hide from the defense that evidence supports that those practicing Odinism were the murderers of Abby and Libby. Three, specifically, Tony Liggett swore under oath at his August 8, 2023 deposition that a Purdue professor did not believe that the sticks found on Abby and Libby's bodies consisted of runes. Number four, furthermore, Sergeant Jerry Holman swore under oath at his August 10, 2023 deposition that a Purdue professor said that the sticks found on the girls did not represent Odinism or any type of cult worshipping or any type of a group that would have conducted the crime. Five, because the findings of this Purdue professor, the Unified Command claimed to have essentially abandoned the Odinism aspect to the investigation into the murders of Abby and Libby. Six, in response to the defense request to depose this Purdue professor, on September 6, 2023, Prosecutor Nick McClelland told the defense via email Quote, as stated before, we are trying to identify the Purdue professor, but no luck yet. Detective Holman has reached out to the FBI and Purdue and has not gotten a response yet. We will continue our endeavors, but may not be able to identify him or her. Unquote. Seven. However, on September 19, 2023, the day after the Frank memorandum was filed, where it had been revealed that the Purdue professor was missing, Miraculously, Jerry Holman found the professor, whose name is Jeffrey Turco, and interviewed him. 8. However, in the interview, Jerry Holman apologized to Turco for the three to four weeks that it took him to sit down with and talk to Turco. 9. This means that Holman was aware of the Purdue professor's identity since mid to late August, but nonetheless told Nick McClelland that Unified Command could not locate the Purdue professor, and furthermore, that they may not ever be able to find the professor. 10. However, after it was obvious that the Purdue professor would probably out himself as the missing Purdue professor following the Franks memorandum, Holman went and interviewed the Purdue professor the day after the memorandum was filed. 11. Why would Holman and Unified Command try to hide the name of the Purdue professor, even risking ridicule for the absurdity that they could not remember his name? The answer is obvious once the taped statement was played. A. 
Dr. Turco stated that after viewing the pattern of the sticks on the girls, that it was, quote, a given, unquote, that someone was trying to replicate a Germanic runic script. B. Furthermore, Dr. Turco consulted with a colleague from Harvard who had even more knowledge on runes, and this Harvard professor was in agreement with Turco. C. Furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that Odinism is an extreme neo-pagan, neo-heathenism ideology that has right-wing racist connotations. D. Furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that according to the 19th century sources, that Vikings practiced ritual killings and sacrifices. And E. Furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that although he could not necessarily interpret these runes, that the sticks configuration was pretty clearly runic and that he could, quote, certainly imagine that this was somebody's idea that when you do a human sacrifice, you carve runes. There are some poetic sources that would sort of support that idea that somebody might have come across. That scenario seems entirely plausible to me, unquote. F. Furthermore, Dr. Turco discussed how runes were thought to have magical significance and would have been used in incantations, in rituals, and that there is a sacrificial connection in mythological poetry. These were things, again, when somebody who was sort of an Odin fanboy, unquote, would likely come across. Twelve. That on September 8th, September 18th, September 21st, and September 27th, 2023, the state of Indiana made available to the defense a total of 14 hard drives, five flash drives, three disks, and what appear to be hundreds of pages of paperwork. 13. Particularly contained in the state of Indiana's September 27th, 2023 evidence drop was a thumb drive that contained an interview of a Jeffrey Turco, which was not marked as the Purdue professor. 14. It seems apparent by the timing of events that Tony Liggett and Unified Command knew the Purdue professor's name and wanted to hide his name and his findings from the defense as Turco conclusions as Turco's conclusions supported the defense and opposed the prosecution and Liggett's and Holman's sworn statements. Therefore, Apparently, in what seems like a complete hair-brained scheme, Holman and Liggett decided to claim that they did not know the professor's name, hoping that this would put an end to the defense looking into the Purdue professor. However, once the memorandum made it clear that the professor would certainly be found at some point in time, it took Holman only one day to locate Dr. Turco and interview him about his findings in 2017. 15. Again, Franks requires a preliminary finding that law enforcement has acted intentionally or with reckless disregard for the truth when being accused of concealing evidence from the judge who signed the warrant. It would be difficult to find a more outrageous set of facts to support that Liggett and the Unified Command intentionally concealed the Odinite information from Judge Diener. If Liggett and Unified Command were willing to get away with concealing a Purdue professor from the Defense Council, then it is easy to see that they would have had no problem concealing all the evidence detailed in the Franks Memorandum from Judge Diener as well. 
Then it says, wherefore defense counsel respectfully files his additional Frank's notice and would request that this court factor in this new filing into its ruling on the defense's request for a Frank's hearing. So that is absolutely incredible to find out that they, they found the Purdue professor, like miraculously, like they said, right after the memo came out. And they interviewed him, and according to his recorded statement, is pretty much the opposite of what law enforcement said that he said, that he actually did kind of back up the Odinist, um, I guess, angle. And let me just be clear here. I do not think that Odinist killed Abigail and Liberty. I do not believe that. Um, do I think it's possible that some racist watched one too many episodes of Vikings and tried to make it look like something like that? Plausible to me. It was very plausible. That individual could have been Rick Allen. Absolutely. But why all the lies? And not even just lies. What What is going on in Carroll County with law enforcement, with the prosecution with even the defense um it's this is just such a crazy case and I, I mean i'm not even done yet i just went over this to illustrate that they found the professor they interviewed him and he said the opposite of what was reported that he said next we're going to get to i'm just going to kind of go over the list of filings there are i don't think there's any real meat and potatoes in the legal jargon that is in these other filings, but I think it's important. Um, the next filing was um, the defense filed to us, basically asked the judge to put a deadline on the prosecution for discovery. They didn't want to have another evidence drop the way that they just had with the 14 hard drives and this and that. And I think at this point they've got over, I think they've got close to 30 hard drives now of evidence to go through. Um, so they didn't want that to happen close to trial. They want the evidence as much as possible soon. So uh, Judge Gall granted that motion and said, okay, November 1st is the deadline. The prosecution did not object to that. So that's why it was so quickly agreed upon. November 1st, all the discovery has to be made. If something comes up after November 1st, that's fine. But if they have it now, then they have till November 1st to make sure the defense gets it basically is what that filing is. There was also a motion to quash. Um, all of that stuff is going to be spoken to on Thursday. So then in response to this, the state filed its own response, basically saying that, you know what, you still have to let us know where your precedent is, what case law are we following here, blah, 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 ba backing up what they said in their first response. But... In this response, they included information and affidavits from those prison guards at Westville, the ones who defense claimed were wearing Odinist patches and were potentially threatening um, Rick Allen. And this is why, um, like I said before, why his mental and physical health was going so downhill because he was afraid of these prison guards. Um, so let's get into that real quick. 
So first, before we jump into these two affidavits, I just want to remind everybody that, and I don't know if everybody out there watches YouTube or follows this case or is into the Delphi kind of um, online sleuthing circles, but most people in the this circle, uh, we didn't really believe that prison guards would be allowed to wear patches showing an affiliation to what seems to be some kind of a group or gang of white supremacists, maybe. Um, not saying that Odinists or Pagans or anything like that are that, but these particular, the like in the um, Vinlanders, the Delphi, they are an offset of an Odinist religion. They're basically a neo-Paganism, um, Norse Pagan religion. And apparently, I don't know much about it, but apparently it is. Um, white nationalists, or not white nationalists, I guess they don't like being called white nationalists, but just nationalists, who sounds to me like they might have some, you know, racial issues, but that's, that's the nicest way I can possibly put it. But anyway, so when the state did their response and they included these affidavits, it blew my mind. The first one is from the acting warden of Westville Correctional Facility, John Gallipo, I think. Um, so his affidavit says um, that he's the warden of Westville Correctional Facility, which is part of the Indiana Department of Corrections, affirms and swears to the following. Number one, that the defendant, Richard Allen, is housed at Westville Correctional Facility in the segregation unit. Number two, that the defendant is housed in that unit for his own protection. Number three, that the cell that the defendant is housed in is 12 by 8 cell, which is the standard size cell in that facility. Four, that the correctional officers guarding the defendant are assigned to that unit by myself and command. Number five, that correctional officers at Westville Correctional Facility were allowed to wear any patches on their vests until the allegations made by the defense in their motion. Number six, that Westville Correctional Facility offers religious services if there have at least five individuals that practice the religion in the complex, and to date we have not had more than five individuals in the complex request to hold services related to Odinism. Number seven, that the defendant is on video while he is in his cell and when he is moved from his cell. Number eight, that the defendant is monitored by at least three correctional officers at all times during movement. Number eight, or sorry, number nine, that Sergeant Randy Jones and Sergeant Joshua Robinson were never placed on duty at the cell door to act as suicide companion of the defendant one-on-one. -on -one. Number 10, that I have never received any reports that Sergeant Randy Jones and Sergeant Joshua Robinson have mistreated the defendant. Number 11, that no one in the facility has ever been ordered by command to threaten, harass, or put the defendant in danger. Number 12, that the defendant is housed by himself and does not have any direct contact with other inmates. 13, that I do not have an agenda or a vested interest in keeping the defendant incarcerated in a facility that is ripe with connections to Odinism. Number 14, that Westville Correctional Facility has very few inmates that practice Odinism. And number 15, that none of those inmates are housed with or next to the defendant. 
I swear under perjury, penalty of perjury as specified by blah, 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 that the foregoing representations are true and accurate to the best of my knowledge. And then he signed and dated below. Now, so that's the warden basically saying that, yeah, his guards were allowed to wear whatever patches they wanted. So let's hear from the guards. Uh, Sergeant Randy Jones, correctional officer at Westville Correctional Facility, which is part of the Indiana Department of Corrections, affirms and swears the following. Number one, that I'm a correctional officer at Westville Correctional Facility. Number two, that I have been assigned to WCU unit of the Westville Correctional Facility since December 11th, 2022, currently assigned to B-Pod. Number three, that I have been acting supervisor in A-Pod, where the defendant is housed, since late February, early March of 2023. Number four, that I do not practice Odinism and that Norse paganism heathenry is my practicing religion. Number five, that I do wear patches on my uniform that identify me as someone who practices Norse paganism heathenry. Number six, that I started wearing the patches six or seven months ago and I did not stop wearing my patches until September 22nd, 2023, when ordered by my command to remove the patches. Number seven, that the patches do not represent racism or hatred for anyone. Number eight, that I am not part of a cult. Number nine, that I am not part of a radical hate group. Number 10, that the patches show my dedication to my faith and to my country. Eleven, that the defendant is filmed with a handheld camera while he is moved from the cell for his own safety. Number 12, that I interacted with the defendant when I was first in charge of holding and ha hand holding the handheld camera to film his movements when he was moved from his cell to another area within the facility. Number 13, that I was also assigned periodically to check on the defendant at his door with his 15-minute checks implemented by his mental health plan. Number 14, that during the door checks, I would walk to the defendant's cell, make sure he is okay and not at risk of self-harm, and then walk away. Number 15, that I have never threatened the defendant. Number 16, that I have never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the defendant about Odinism. Number 17, that I do not know anything about the practice of Odinism. Number 18, that I never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the defendant where I tried to influence him in any way. Number 19, that I have gone above and beyond to not use any kind of force on the defendant, even though there have been times when the use of force was justified by standard operating procedures. Number 20, that there have been times where I have gone above and beyond in order to be gentler with the defendant to, pre to prevent him from getting tased. Number 21, that the defendant was tased twice between May 9th, 2023 and May 25th, 2023, because we could not get him to comply with our orders. Number 22, that I have never had an excessive force complaint filed against me while have been employed at Westville Correctional Facility. And number 23, that I have been employed with the Department of Corrections since April 4th, 2022, and that this job is my passion and what I love doing. And I swear under penalty of perjury as specified by IC 35-404-2-1 
that the foregoing representations are true and accurate to the best of my knowledge. And Sergeant Jones signed that affidavit. So very interesting due to the fact that now we know that the Purdue professor agrees that these sticks could have runic meaning behind them or an attempt at runic meaning behind them. And we also know that the prison guards were wearing patches related to Odinism. So take what you want from that stuff. But to me, that shows that the defense wasn't lying. They were literally taking facts that they had gained through the investigation of um, law enforcement. And this is the information that they've found in the prosecution's own discovery. It is, I don't even know the word for it, suspicious, maybe, interesting. I hate to use that word because we're talking about the murder of two little girls. And I feel like that fact is getting lost in all of this mud. But then as we go forward and as we wait to hear from Judge Gull about uh, the motion for Frank's hearing, all of a sudden we have this leak because that memorandum caused because the crime scene description and we had no official information before this. So everybody was doing drawings and diagrams, court TV included. Barbara McDonald jumped on there with her, uh, apparently her rendition of the F on the tree. Um, and since then, there was a huge catastrophic leak of the actual crime scene photos. Um, one of which is all over the internet. It is the F tree. Some people see an F, some people don't. I'm going to reserve my personal opinion. I see it and I also see how people don't see it. But even more disturbingly, there were pictures of Abby and Libby found there. So now we know the, the pictures haven't been released on the internet. They were sent to content creators who have since basically gone public and and. They're asking whoever has these pictures to not share them, to delete them. Let's stop this leak in its tracks. The fact is, though, that certain people have them. And there is a big controversy, not even controversy, but tragedy surrounding these pictures and who actually leaked them. We know that it they originally came from somebody who used to work for one of the attorneys, Andrew Baldwin, um, he's been not working there for years and years, but people are wondering how did he have access to them if the defense didn't know. And those are questions that may get answered on Thursday. I don't know. But at the end of the day, these pictures are now out there and it could affect Richard Allen's ability to get a fair trial, which is terrible. So what people are talking about and what people are saying is that Judge Gall either could A, um, remove the attorneys from this case and then appoint Richard Allen new attorneys. And then they would have to start all over at number one. Uh, remember, Rick Allen's attorneys were appointed probably close to a year ago now. So they've been working at this stuff for a year. And if they're removed from the case on Thursday, everything would have to start over. Trial's not happening in January. The families have to wait even longer for justice to find out the truth of what happened to the little girls. It would be tragic if that happened. 
However, if the defense is behind the leak of these photographs of Abby and Libby, they can't, they shouldn't be able to get away with it. They, they need sanctions. They need fines. Something has to happen. But I hope they're not replaced on the case. I really do. Um, and what it's all about is justice for Abby and Libby. At the end of the day, there's been so many questions and conspiracies and different theories and just absolute bullshit that's gone on in this case for, by the time this goes to trial, we'll be one month short of seven years. If it goes to trial in January, that's why I hope they, they hold strong and just stay on track and let's get justice for Libby and Abby. And the, the hearing is for, it's a status hearing and to discuss matters that have um, come up is basically the way Judge Gull put it. She's allowing it to be televised, I believe, probably on court TV, maybe Law and Crime Network. Um, live streaming isn't allowed from inside the courtroom. So, like, the live streaming will have to be the um, TV networks. Obviously, I'm going to be watching it. If anything big happens, I will bring it to you here on a podcast episode, a bonus episode. But anything that can be dealt with in a Facebook post, I will post it on Facebook. Um, I feel like, I feel like we're kind of, even though this is all new information, it's coming out fast and furious, I don't want... Abby and Libby's case to become what true crime story is revolving around. Um, yes, it is one of the main reasons why we started the podcast. And yes, it's a case that's kind of um, sunk into our, our, our day to day thought process We're you know, we're always looking into it. We're always interested. We're always hoping that positive things happen. But there are many other cases out there. And this is not a Delphi podcast we're covering this case because it's news and we had a lot of interest in it and I'm very interested in it going forward though until the trial I think you can expect to see Facebook posts about it something very big would have to happen I think for us to do another episode if you disagree and you want us to continue covering um, the filings and the big the big news and stuff in this case just let us know otherwise we're just going to kind of stick to what I think we do best and cover all true crime stories, new and old, open and closed cases. And um, yeah, just hope for justice. So until next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. Remember to send in your podcast episodes, case suggestions, or requests. If you wish to buy us a coffee or join our Patreon, you can find the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. I'm Bree. And I'm sure. And we'll see you in the next chapter. Bye. Bye. Bye.